session zero, as we all know, as you all know, is an important, it is probably the most important tool that a dungeon master can implement and utilize as a DM. It is also, in my humble opinion, mandatory for any Dungeons and Dragons session. And I can tell you from experience, I have had so many players come and go out of campaigns because of a lack of clarity, a lack of a session zero. And running a long-running home game that stretches, that I hope that will stretch up into level 20, we've had a lot of players come and go. And sometimes I have forgotten to do the new session zero for the new players that are coming in. And most of the time, that leads to disastrous consequence especially especially if you are running a morally gray campaign which i think a lot of us are doing lately that seems to be we talk about the temperature of the culture on the fantastic universes podcast we talked about how cultural snapshots can be a reflection or D&D can be a reflection of a cultural snapshot of the age that we all as DMs and players live in, and about how we talked about fascism and defeating fascism in D&D in an overarching home game story, about how themes of the world that we live in inevitably bleed into D&D. So that being said, it's really, really important to be able to prepare your players for the things that they are going to experience because a lot of people can be legitimately legitimately bothered by some of the content that is presented in a fantasy world that is ripe with violence tyranny oppression war poverty it is incredibly important to discuss with your players and set expectations for what they can expect in the story you want to tell but i think I use my session zeros largely on a one-to-one -one basis, just to get an ex just to get what, just to temper my expectations for what each player is creating in terms of the character and the stories they want to tell. I find that part, I find the session zero much more beneficial to myself in contrast to the players that I'm bringing. I find that it's very that I genuinely need the context that the players will be bringing to just understand their characters is better and to understand what sort of stories they want to tell with their characters. I want to do right by their stories and by the character stories and the characters they want to tell rather than sort of deter them from the potentially, but still come somewhat unlikely downsides to what may occur in the world that I'm the story that I'm going to tell. Well, that's the much less depressing part about Session Zero, is being able to begin the collaborative storytelling process with your players, getting their feedback, and again, I think, as was mentioned before, asking the players, what do you want from your character? Yes. What do you want from your character arc? What do you want from this game? Where would you like your character to go as far as their journey, their personal growth, etc.? So I think it's a perfect combination of those two things. So thank you for adding to that. Yeah, I definitely think that ties back into, you know, what Folkard was saying before in our previous topic of 
you know, really learning how to shape your world and your campaign around what people want. But session zeros, I found, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a huge topic being discussed right now about, you know, learning to understand um, triggering topics and the, the consent and everything that you mentioned, Essie, kind of before. So mm -hmm. for, for us, I mean, I usually, when I'm starting a new campaign, I have a server either dedicated specifically to that campaign or like a section of, you know, a general server. And this the the players and I get to start that collaborative world building kind of earlier on, even before session zero. And so our session zeros really are more for like the technical aspect. So getting them into, you know, if we're gonna be streaming, making sure that everything is working kind of on their end, on my end, and get that that sort of thing. Or, you know, we use Foundry um, and Forge for our, our, our TTPRG. So get making sure everyone's set up in that. Um, really going over like house rules, um, anything that might, like I generally tend to do a little bit differently than the book, or just, you know, how to address discrepancies as they come up on the fly. So like, you know, if, if we're in the middle of a game and you want to to talk about something like let's let's just sidebar it like over here for a second we can put mm -hmm. put the game on pause whatever that might be and kind of just setting those expectations but um and same with scheduling i i think it's important in session mm -hmm. zeros to kind of talk about like you know life happens life is always going to come first that's obviously a priority but we also want to make sure that we're respecting everybody else in the group and the time and and if you know that you're not going to be there you know let's let people know early and let's try to set up like is it okay if the party continues without you that we just kind of say you're hanging back doing downtime work or something or do you want us to like do we agree as a group that we would prefer to be together those sort of things to kind of set up ahead of time um as well as you know talking about you know the triggering topics and what we should avoid or avoid going into super big detail about because i think it's really hard to avoid a lot of those topics based on like the way things are written or something like that obviously there are definitely some that we can avoid altogether but um just like a lot of people are like well let's just not talk about it like let's just do the fade to black sort of stuff or right. you know, whatever else that might be um it's romance kind of is a big a one big part of it. yeah i think the important part um uh, about triggering mm -hmm. topics uh is to realize that some people might be uncomfortable even answering your questions right in mm -hmm. front of other people like are you okay with that and they're like uh I don't right. want to be the one that I'm that not okay with it. So it's I think it's important to actually then approach people in private mm -hmm. and tell them, okay, yeah. I'm not gonna tell anybody. So uh, like, what's your like a graphic? Like I'm running a Song of Ice and Fire campaign. There's gonna be rape or something because uh, war. You know, are you okay with that? And maybe they will be okay, maybe not, but. Uh, around the table, I mean, it's not enough to just ask, and then yeah, they're fine with it. I mean, if they're not fine with it in the first place, then they're probably not fine even talking about this uh, in, mm -hmm. on session zero. You should consider that. Right. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I have found through a couple of different communities a uh, resource that's out there. It's a it's a Google form essentially, so it it can be anonymous. Yes, you can send out to your players ahead of yes. time, and it's mm -hmm. based off of um, Monty Cook's you know consent in gaming. Um, I think Lauren Bryant Monk is actually the one who put it together. The just the digital RPG consent checklist, and so you know easy enough to make a copy of that and share it around. The great thing about it is that it can be used like not just at session zero, but if you're a couple of things in and something comes up and someone's like oh i didn't realize i was uncomfortable about that but 
you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable now. Let sure. me just submit this. You'll get an email and then you'll know, not necessarily that that person, unless they agree to provide their information, but that someone would prefer that that not be a thread of the story that we continue down or. Oh, that's cool. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that will be something that checklist, there's a few different checklists, but yep. if anyone has their preferred checklist uh, or consent form, if you want to send that to me, I can put, I can put that in the description of the video. So we have a couple of different options as far as our consent forms. And I, I've heard about the money click games one as well. And to always have an, an open table policy or an open checklist policy that is important as well it allows your players to to update that not necessarily in real time but after every session mm -hmm. there is also another useful tool that i had discovered on tiktok and it is using the stoplight the traffic light system oh yeah yeah with a green yeah so you have green cards yellow cards and red cards so if you if there is a challenging topic that comes up it might be helpful for some of the players to hold up the green card. If, if they hold up, if people are flashing green cards, it's all optional. You don't, green card just means go. It's green light, green light, go. So if you, as the DM, stop and say, oh, wow, that was a really heavy moment that we had. And you're looking around at your table, digitally or otherwise, and you see the green cards. You're like, okay. So even though maybe I, as the DM, thought that that was heavy, all the players seem to be in agreement. If someone holds up a yellow light, that is your cue to, okay, I need to slow down and maybe start the process of reversing course. That is probably going to be the most common. If there is a subject that is jarring or that is bothering some people, the yellow light, I think probably nine times out of ten, you'll get the yellow light. And that will uh, signal you as the DM to ease off the gas a little bit upon the brakes and begin the process of segueing away from that topic in a way that makes sense narratively and into something different. And then hopefully that will be converted to the green light. I think most of us are experienced uh, and decent enough to be able to, to utilize that system and to be able to understand and improvise on the fly the yellow lights and segueing into other topics in the narrative. Uh, the red light, of course, is a hard stop. In which case, uh, whether you're on a live stream or otherwise, you could always cut to a break. You could cut to a pause. You can take more than one break if you're doing an actual play live stream. You can take three or four. It doesn't really matter how many breaks you take, especially if it's someone's someone is being legitimately triggered by something. But the physical consent forms are an excellent, excellent resource. So thank you for bringing that up as well. I'm going to hand it back to all of you to give additional thoughts. I suppose yeah. discussing everyone's soft and hard limits, and that's true to a lot of things. Um, just to be able to be clear with that from as early on as possible is essential. And I think as long as you're respectful and you mm. know the people you're playing with, which I'm very fortunate that a lot of those veils really haven't been crossed to my knowledge, that I also have a lot of uh, air of trust with the people that I play with, that they, will, they have and will address things that are otherwise not okay or not to their comfort level they have they have been fortunate enough to be able to trust me to address it and it never comes up again i know that there have been times when i've when games have veered towards particularly dark topics uh for some of the live play stuff that i've done with my people at no ordinary heroes my friends at no ordinary heroes i've um i've ended the session things have been okay with the players but then i went to an aside 
took my phone and recorded a little. Hello, hello viewers, I'm Ready as a Tinker, a Dungeon Master here. Just a quick PSA about today's, uh, today's episode. It features all of this uh, trigger warning stuff here. It was a single incident, it didn't really affect the story, it was done off-screen, handled tastefully, and just a thing that happened narrative naturally within the narrative. I hope this doesn't um, affect anyone too much, and I apologize if it does, but anyway, here's the rest of the story. So being able to address that, even as, uh, to as many people as possible, and just being respectful as clearly as you can is essential. That's, that's a great idea. As all of you may have seen, recently we did a content warning when promoting the most recent episode of the Actual Play livestream, because the party was traveling into, for those of you who are familiar with Tomb of Annihilation, the Fane of the Night Serpent. And there were some pretty, there was potential for some pretty heavy topics. So getting ahead of it and giving people that warning in advance was very helpful because when the topics were broached, it just so happened that the way that the party had played out the game, they didn't get to see a lot of that. But being prepared for it and not being blindsided, uh, blindsided is important because, as we all know as DMs, that could have gone the complete opposite direction and they could have experienced all of those things in pretty horrific or graphic detail based on the structure of the Fane of the Night Serpent and Yon-Ti as presented in both the module and sort of in Faerunian lore. I run Yanti a lot different in my homebrew world, but as far as the established lore of the Forgotten Realms, they're a little bit more brutalistic in a way. So that warning was important. And also, it's hard to, to talk about D&D without mentioning Critical Role. And Critical Role has such an immense platform that the, the episode that brought safety tools and the... Money Click Games, I believe they use the Money Click Games consent sheet. What brought that discussion forward when it comes to Critical Role was the episode, uh, spoilers, briefly, for Critical Role Campaign 2 here. Eh, I don't watch um, it. Me neither. <laughs> what, on and off. On and off. Like, yeah, I want that with the game right. subject. Uh, well, what, what, what prompted the, the safety tools discussion was child harm. Uh, was having having a small child caught in the crossfire of a fire elemental. And that was pretty heavy, not just from someone who is uh, who is a mother, a parent, but also a fan of Critical Role. Having that moment, it hit me pretty intensely. Uh, so I'm sure it also probably hit some, some other people pretty hard. And, and, and to see to see child harm in such detail on such a popular show really prompted and brought the discussion of safety tools, I think, into the forefront. So the good thing about having such a popular show is that it takes these useful tools and oftentimes brings them into the forefront of discussion. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I can stand, because a kid, I can stand, but when an animal gets hurt, Mm. like a dog mm -hmm. or a cat i can yeah. freaking find the author of that movie or something and just kill him <laughs> when i was watching, imagine when i was watching john wick Ooh. oh yeah yeah and i'm like i i didn't know why what am i even watching uh, and by the way i was really late for the party i just watched it like 
a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I still haven't seen it. I thought somebody I haven't seen the whole thing either, but I know. Oh, okay. I I know. Yeah, we all know the premise. Yeah, everybody knows at this point. Oh, everybody okay, knows. You're right. So, so yeah, like, they, they show a dog, though. and I'm like, oh, it's gonna be a story about a guy and his dog. <laughs> And well, then, okay. and then they, they start, you know, they break into his house, and I'm like, you better not. And then they do, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, Damn that it. just, I mean, like on a related, on a unrelated but still related to what we're currently talking about topic. That's why there's a website called Does the Do- Does the Dog where it literally just breaks down does the pet make it through the movie. But then again, that kind of like trauma and abuse is still something that a lot of audiences aren't comfortable with even in like t14 18 plus art rated r movies mm-hmm. they there needs to be like some level of care and attention to how that stuff is portrayed in every piece of media but the benefit of us being collaborative storytellers is that we get to choose when those come up not just to say whether it fits the tone of the story we're telling but also whether or not it's something everyone that's appreciating and experiencing the story is okay with we get to cherry pick those based on everybody's comfort level and the story we want to tell. So even if it makes sense in the context of what's happening, we can still shy away from it because some circumstances might get in the way, but still we want to try and keep everyone that we're telling the story with as comfortable and as safe and as like together as possible. Also, it's a, like in John Wick, it's a pretty strong narrative tool because yeah. now you've you fucking hate the guy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are we allowed to? Yeah. To swear? <laughs> I mean, that's it. Uh, you're set for the entire movie. Everything yeah. John Wick does is justified now because he harmed the dog. Mm-hmm. But uh, is it also kind of it's it it's kind of feels like cheating. Like yeah, of course uh, it will work, you know. But at the same time, I love drama, so I mm-hmm. kind of I love when when I cry. <laughs> reading books and and uh watching movies that that's why uh my players know that i that i like killing important npcs in my games and there were times they were threatening me like if you touch rodriguez <laughs> it was there was a uh partner of a player cop in my cyberpunk game they actually threatened me if something happens to her, we will tie you and beat you down. <laughs> I should oh, love that. Like they, uh, they felt something because I was gonna, I was gonna kill her. But yeah. Yeah, I liked your point, um, Wilbert, about it, like being a dramatic point. Like it, it got us involved, and so I think you know, as DMs, when we are crafting ways to keep our players interested, to keep them motivated to move forward, it oftentimes can be those really challenging topics that are tempting to use. And by, you know, using session zeros, by having that communication about what players are okay with, what they just want a warning about. Like, maybe it's like, I don't care if we talk about it. Can you just let me know, you know, give me a heads up so that I know it's coming, that sort of thing. It at least lets us know, like, there are tropes, there are things that we could lean into if we wanted to, to carry that through. But on the reverse side of that, like, when you do get that hard stop or that hard topic of, like, no, we cannot go here, just see it as, like, a a, a creative challenge. Like, you know, maybe you were going to use the the dramatic, you know, killing of, a, a, a like, a beloved NPC, but 
you know, if, if that's something like that were to bother them, for example, like just, I don't know, find a different way to motivate them. And I, I always try to see that as a, as a challenge to expand yeah, my own definitely. creative liberties and, and like, you know, moving forward in that way. So to all the people who, you know, kind of berate the idea of getting people's trigger warnings out there and, and everything, it's just like, you know, you're, you're just trying to make it approachable for everyone and more people and then giving yourself the ability to get more creative with it. Like, I really do think stuff like that makes us go outside of our own comfort zones and outside of like relying on those pre-existing standards or storylines or whatnot that we might lean into otherwise, um, you know, that are done in all sorts of media because we love drawing inspo from media. That's, you know, a huge thing about what we do, but um, having those warnings, I think really helps to make us go outside of them and find something that's more fitting for our story and the players involved. That's so true, because, um, sorry, uh, as a, there's a plot thread coming up with the in-person game that I play with the ladies at Ordinary Heroes. Uh, it's a, it's not going to be an ongoing arc coming in quite some time, but it's still a very key, crucial moment. And I won't go, go into details, because I, I know that the ladies will probably listen to this or watch this back, and I don't want to give them any spoilers, but mm-hmm. um, there will be a particularly big... Uh, tipping point that will create a great bit of drama in the ongoing story that will involve very closely playing to one of the player characters under duress using something that's very close to the actual player of that character's very personal phobia that I would know never to dabble with but the need to create and to uh, think of another way around it has genuinely prompted me to come up with the idea of being able to still create the shocking visual without playing into the specificity of the phobia. Mm -hmm. So that kind of level of creativity actually makes us all better storytellers while still keeping the people we're playing with so much safer. Um, When we're off the air, I'll I'll tell you guys a little later because it's a really juicy plot thread that I've been seeing on for absolutely years. But (laughs) that level of care and thought has been very eye-opening and enlightening. And that's the thing I think that a lot of GMs would need to try to absorb and take in. I feel like a PBS moderator on Meet the Press. Folkard, your thoughts? Well, <laughs> um, I was gonna support uh, uh, Liz's uh, uh, thought about uh, the okay, li- limiting your tool tool set uh, sort of uh, improves your sk- might serve as an improvement for your skills, and it goes for a lot of. Uh, like I don't know, uh, creative uh, disciplines. I I I guess uh, I I learned that when uh, so I was uh, taking c- musical c- composition classes, uh, and uh, my teacher used to um, always uh, give me tasks like, okay, write me something with only two notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Setting boundaries and parameters for yourself. Yeah, and f- at first it's really frustrating, but then you realize, okay, I have to come up with actual, with a piece, you know, that's uh, that's pleasant and that's completely uh, like autonomous, like it's 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 good, and you have two, like three notes, then two notes, and then he actually gave me one note, like okay, make it make, so you only have rhythm and that's it. Uh, and that actually taught me a lot, uh, if not only music, because uh, it actually makes you kind of value what you have, you know? Uh, speaking of maybe 
if you're getting into like digital art or something uh, or digital music uh, composing you're uh, or D&D you're you're about to like you want to buy every single tool out there that's being advertised so oh, this will make you super uh, super crafty uh, but and then you watch a video when a guy makes this uh, art with like buckwheat and glue or something uh and which is amazing and you're like ah oh, crap so uh that makes me think so uh for for instance uh, uh recently i got into um synthwave and lo-fi uh, mm -hmm. I, I compose stuff and i bought myself a little uh keyboard and it came with a software called uh, uh it doesn't matter uh and i i made a challenge not to buy a single uh synthesizer online uh and to use only stock uh stuff and create like a good production level uh music and i started to actually use all the little knobs and try to like you know uh to uh kind of punch everything to just kick uh, everything to the maximum and I realized okay I would never use it if I had a huge bunch of tool sets that everything does this and that and you and you pay money uh, extra money for that and same goes for D&D it can actually improve your narrative skills when uh, something uh, really cliche and uh, obvious is taken away from you go ahead and figure it out yeah, that was my thought. <laughs> All right. Well, I, yeah. know, I like that. Anybody else have any final thoughts? On it's uh, very tools? true to what I was taught back when I studied my literature yeah. degree. It's that more constraints on a creative work, on any creative work, leads to more creation because you're mm -hmm. forced to do things that you wouldn't have access to. So yeah, I I fully support being justifiably constrained in my creative work just to be able to see where it could take you. I, I I remember this uh, a tiny little story. Uh, I had a friend. I mean, my wife had a friend who was uh, Korean, and he uh, used like once in a while he would go and live in a uh, Buddhism temple uh, for like a month, and he would stay silent for an entire month. And, oh, wow. and then when when he just came back to his I mean, maybe even a week, but can you imagine like not saying a single word for a week? <laughs> uh, and when he came back, he actually he said that like you know he felt uh, the value of every single word, so he stopped just throwing words around. And I think that relates to this topic. No, it does. Limiting your yeah, it, you start valuing stuff that you have, and you and you realize that it has. Everything, every little thing has a lot more potential than you thought it, it had. 